carries the power. Turbines to speed. Ready to move up. Before we start, I'd like to say something. There's no reason why you shouldn't have complete confidence in your chances to come out of this thing alive in one piece. From coast to coast, from border to border, from one end to the other, and all points in between. The Classic Guitar Rock Podcast is on. Yes! That's awesome! We crank up and break down the great guitar-driven rock of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And you are invited to come along. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it! And now, your host... Jeremy Lunnan. Yeah, we don't know anything about that fellow there. Now, who is he? Where's he coming from? It's time for the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Welcome back to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. I'm Jeremy. Super excited for today's episode. We'll be talking about Gary Moore in a bit. A few things I want to cover before we, we get started. First of all, some sad news over the past week. The loss of Dusty Hill, ZZ Top. It was kind of a shocker. Uh, I'm a big ZZ Top fan. I'll refer you back to our episode on Trace Ombres. But ZZ Top has just always been one of my favorites. Very saddened to hear of the loss of Dusty Hill at, at age 72. Interestingly, Dusty started the current tour uh, that they're on. And they've been pretty busy, COVID notwithstanding. They've been on tour here for the last... A month or so and dusty actually played the first two dates in fact there's footage of him playing and he he had to sit down uh because he had hip problems in fact that's why he was in the hospital for for a hip procedure so dusty had played the first two dates and had said you know that i can't give a hundred percent let me go get this taken care of billy was obviously on board with that that was great and ZZ Top then had their their guitar tech fill in uh, for Dusty on bass. And this guy's name is Elwood Francis. And Elwood has actually been a guitar tech for the band for like 30 years. So he's taking care of Billy's guitars, Dusty's guitars. And he just happens to have a ZZ Top style beard. And Elwood had hopped in to take over for Dusty after Dusty, you know, said, hey, I got to go get my hip taken care of. So he was already playing with the band. And there are some videos out there. Uh, he knows the material. Like I said, he's been associated with the band for, for 30 years. So it was a natural to have him have him do that. Of course, when he stepped in, he assumed it would be temporary. And no one expected for the turn of events that happened that resulted in uh, Dusty passing away at 72. So a sad thing. Uh, it looks like ZZ Top just missed one show. You know, out of respect for Dusty, they canceled uh, one of their shows. And then they, they went back out on the road with Elwood in tow. Uh, and according to what Billy says, you know, that's, that's the way Dusty wanted it. They, he, he wanted the tour to continue without him. And uh, that's what they've done. Man, it would have to be difficult to hop up on stage and play when the guy you've been playing with since 1969 isn't right there on your right side. But uh, but they've done it and they're doing it. 
And I don't know what the long-term future is for ZZ Top. Billy just released a solo album. And to be honest, it sounds like a ZZ Top album. But I, I don't know. I don't know what the future will hold for ZZ Top. I don't know if they'll continue to perform with Elwood or with someone else or or what exactly will happen. But definitely sad news with the loss of Dusty Hill. Also, we heard this past week of the passing of Paul Cotton, who was in Poco. Poco, one of those California bands, and I don't, I don't mean that in a, in a derisive way at all, but like the Eagles, kind of the country rock sound that was popular in the seventies. Poco had uh, Timothy B. Schmidt and Randy Meisner both came from Poco. And if you go back and listen to the Poco albums, you know, it's kind of the chicken and egg thing. Who came first, the Eagles or Poco? Well, some, some folks would say Poco influenced the Eagles. And you, you definitely hear that same vibe. The, the Poco Legend album is one of my favorite albums. I would highly recommend you go check that out. But, uh, we also lost Paul Cotton this week, who was a, a member of Poco. So bad news in terms of losing folks. And as I mentioned it before, I'm not trying to be negative, but when we talk about classic rock and this great music of the 60s, 70s, and 80s, obviously time waits for no one, right? And sadly, we will only hear more of these artists that we know and love passing away. So we want to make sure that we celebrate their music, that we remember the the contributions they've made, but but always sad when we have these great artists uh, leave us. Now, for something totally different, I want to talk to you about dick pics. Get your mind out of the gutter. Dick pics are guitar pics. There's this great company called Dick Picks that is based in Australia and they make awesome guitar picks. And I fortunately have a bunch of product from Dick Picks that uh, I'll be giving out. In fact, uh, I've got some of their starter packs and these are cool. The starter pack comes with a cool little tin, a metal tin that these picks will go in. And so in their starter pack, you get, oh gosh, like 12 different picks. There's some bass picks in there. There's uh, just several different uh, sizes and thicknesses of picks. They've got their Delrin picks and their celluloid picks, some large nylon picks. Those are the base picks. My personal favorite is their little jazz pick. So I've got a number of these starter packs from Dick Picks and I want to give some away. So here's what I'm going to do. I have a limited number, uh, but I've got quite a few to give away. And, and here's how you can get a free starter pack from Dick Picks in Australia. I want you to email classicguitarrock at mail.com and answer this question. We'll be talking about Gary Moore today. And one of the famous guitars that Gary Moore owned, he got from Peter Green of Fleetwood Mac. Well, now another famous guitarist owns this famous Peter Green Les Paul. I want you to send me an email to classicguitarrocketmail.com. Tell me the famous artist who now owns this famous Peter Green Les Paul. And the first five people with the correct response, I will send you a starter pack 
from Dick Picks. You will love these picks. These are awesome picks. So make sure when you send your email that you send your shipping address too, so I can ship these to you. Uh, you need to go to Dick Picks website. It's dickpicks.com.au. They're based in Australia, free shipping within Australia, but they do have international shipping as well. You'll definitely want to check out Dick Picks. So email me, classicguitarrocketmail.com. The first five folks who can tell me who currently owns the famous Peter Green Les Paul that once belonged to Gary Moore, I will send you a starter pack from Dick Picks. Dick Picks, share them with your friends today. When we come back... We're going to dig in to Gary Moore and his classic album from 1982, Corridors of Power. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast, and today we are talking about Gary Moore. Just a reminder, the first five folks who send me an email to ClassicGuitarRocketMail.com and tell me the famous guitarist that currently owns the Peter Green Les Paul that once belonged to Gary Moore, first five folks, I will send you the Dick Picks Starter Pack, ClassicGuitarRocketMail.com. All right. I've been looking forward to this conversation about Gary Moore. Now, an interesting thing about Gary Moore, and, and in fact, I, on Twitter, if you're not following us on Twitter, find us on Twitter, uh, Classic Guitar Rock, you'll see this recent poll that I posted. And, and the poll was something like this. Do you prefer the blues Gary Moore or the rock Gary Moore? I was kind of surprised. I thought most people would would lean towards the blues Gary Moore, but fans of the rock Gary Moore won. Not by a huge margin, but again, I thought most folks would would prefer Gary's blues phase. And it's interesting, as I talk to people, the people that are fans of the blues Gary Moore, they will cite Still Got the Blues as his greatest album ever. Folks that prefer the rock stuff, they'll say, oh, Corridors of Power or After the War or Victims of the Future are his greatest albums. So it it just really depends on whether you prefer the blues version of Gary Moore or the rock version. Well, today... We're going to really talk more about the rock phase of Gary Moore's career. And I'll just throw it right out. 
I prefer his rock playing. Now, he's a phenomenal blues guitar player. Don't get me wrong. Still Got the Blues is a great album. He had a number of of blues albums that were very good. But I, I think in the rock genre, he was truly unique. I mean, he was a pioneer and had a very unique contribution. In the blues vein, he was a great blues guitar player among many great blues guitar players. I, I just think he, he differentiated himself more in the rock field than the blues field. And when I go back and listen to Gary Moore, I will grab his rock stuff to listen to, whether it's Corridors of Power or Dirty Fingers or Victims of the Future or After the War or any. I just kind of prefer that that rock stuff that he does. And we'll dig into his 1982 album, Corridors of Power, here shortly. But let's talk a little bit about Gary Moore's history. Now, Gary Moore was born in Northern Ireland, and his dad was a musician. And from a, a young age, Gary, you know, kind of with the, with the encouragement of his dad, his dad bought him a little guitar and he learned to play and he was singing in front of folks at a, at a young age. And in the sixties, uh, late sixties, early seventies, he started playing with an outfit called Skid Row. Now, not the Skid Row we know from the eighties with Seb- Sebastian Bach and those guys. In fact, interesting story that band Skid Row paid Gary Moore $35,000 so they could use the name Skid Row. Skid Row was a a band in Northern Ireland back in the early 70s that featured Gary and Phil Lynott, who we know from Thin Lizzy. We also know Gary Moore spent time in and out of Thin Lizzy and played on two or three of their albums, toured with them three or four different times uh, when Brian Robertson was was out for various reasons. They'd bring Gary Moore back in. Gary did play on a, on a few albums. In fact, there's a, a good uh, YouTube concert of Thin Lizzy live in Australia from the late 70s that happens to have Gary Moore on it. But that's a, that's a good live video representation of Thin Lizzy in the late 70s. But he, he played in this band Skid Row. Gary was a very, I don't want to say difficult. You know, we talk about whether it's a Richie Blackmore or a Jeff Beck or a Gary Moore. We often hear about these guitarists that are difficult to work with. That's what they'll say a lot. I don't know if it's that they're difficult to work with, but I think, you know, Richie Blackmore, Jeff Jeff Beck, Gary Moore, I think the thing that they have in common is they're perfectionists, right? They are very good at what they do, and I think they hold themselves to a very high level, and I think sometimes they hold other people to a very high level, and I think that's some of that categorizing them as being difficult to work with. Gary Moore was like that, right? He, he, and, and similar to Michael Shanker in this regard is he'd be in a tour, on a tour, and if it wasn't going well, if he didn't like what he was seeing, he'd just bail. And he did that a couple times with Thin Lizzy. Now, Shanker, he had other things maybe fueling some of those decisions with Gary Moore. In fact, one of the things he said about Thin Lizzy the last time he left them on a tour in the late 70s was those guys were drinking so much and were so high all the time that that our playing suffered. And I didn't want to do that. He didn't want to do that. And so he left. Interestingly enough, he and Phil Lynott 
And I think the other members of Thin Lizzy have remained good friends, even though Gary kind of had this back and forth with them and would play and then get mad and leave or whatever. Phil Lynott came back and, and played on albums with Gary before he passed away in the late 80s. So the friendship remained. They, they remained friends. But Gary Moore always had a very independent streak, you know, and he started producing solo material even before Thin Lizzy, he left Skid Row and then he actually had his first solo album way back in 1973. It was an album called Grinding Stone, which was credited to the Gary Moore Band. And it was, you know, a mix of blues, there was rock, there was jazz. And this is one of the beefs that people have had with Gary Moore, and that is this kind of Lack of musical direction, right? It's just like, are you, are you going to be a rock guy? Are you going to be a blues guy? Are you going to be a jazz guy? I mean, at one point, Gary was playing with a, an outfit called Coliseum 2, which was very kind of jazz fusion in the mid-70s. He's got an album that came out in 1980 called G-Force. And I would encourage you to listen to, to this album. This is a This is an odd album because it's got some... Awesome guitar playing over some really cheesy, sappy pop music. It's a weird mix, right? So again, that kind of fed that, that notion that Gary didn't really know what he wanted to do musically. Now he, he would say, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I played exactly what I wanted to play. Sometimes I wanted to play jazz. Sometimes I wanted to play pop. Sometimes I wanted to play heavy metal, whatever. So, and he's maintained that. He said, I, I just play what I want to play. It's not that I lack musical direction, but you listen to this G force album and you're like, wow. I mean, there are some songs that are just full on. I mean, Gary Moore was shred before shred was a thing, right? So 1980, there's some phenomenal stuff on there that, that, I mean, Eddie Van Halen might be the only person that you could say was doing stuff like this. Uh, so, so Gary Moore. And that's a good way to put it. He was shred before shred was a thing. He really was. And you go back and you read interviews with guitar players from that time, whether it's a Randy Rhodes or a George Lynch or, you know, just think of guitar players from the early 80s. They will often cite Gary Moore. Now, here's the interesting thing about Gary Moore. Gary Moore was pretty big in Europe. Yet in the U.S., no one really knew who he was. And it wasn't until 1990 when he had done the Still Got the Blues that all of a sudden people said, oh, have you heard of this new guy, Gary Moore? Well, he's not new. He's been around forever, right? But that was his first big album that made a splash in the U.S. And that kind of pigeonholed him as a, as a blues player. And like I said earlier, the folks that kind of found Gary Moore via the blues, they think of him as a blues guy and still got the blues is his greatest album. And it is a great album. But what we're going to talk about is the rock stuff. One more thing from, from history about Gary Moore, which is kind of interesting. So he had his G-Force album in 1980, which did pretty well in Europe, uh, didn't do much in the U.S. And then he, he recorded another album called Dirty Fingers, also in 1980 and dirty fingers was much more hard rock uh but the record company didn't want 
him competing with himself, right? He had the G-Force album out, which they thought was more radio friendly. So they kind of shelved Dirty Fingers and it wasn't released until 1983 in Japan. And then I think sometime in 84, it, it was released internationally. Dirty Fingers, for whatever reason, is it's a good album, uh, but but it did not get the same reception as Corridors of Power or Victims of the Future. So he releases G-Force in 1980, also recorded Dirty Fingers, which didn't get released yet. He moved to L.A., by the way, around 1980. So he was there working on G-Force. And here's where it gets interesting. What else was happening in 1980? There was this guy named Ozzy Osbourne who had just been fired from Black Sabbath, who who was also living in L.A. Ozzy Osbourne was managed by Don Arden, father of Sharon Arden, who we know now as Sharon Osbourne, right? Uh, Don Arden also managed Gary Moore. And so in the early stages of Ozzy's, I can't say solo career yet, because it was still, he was still kind of looking around, assembling a band. And he wanted Gary Moore. And Gary said, well, you know, I I don't want to be in your band. I'm doing my own thing, but I'll help you find your band. And so Gary Moore was pretty instrumental in helping Ozzy, um, you know, audition other people in the L.A. area. And, you know, they'd bring folks in and, and Gary Moore would kind of provide the band for these auditions, right? So lots of folks would come in and, and, and would play with Gary Moore and, and his band auditioning for, for Ozzy. At one point, Gary did meet Randy Rhodes. I don't know if they played together. I, I have to do some research on that. I don't know if they actually ever played together, but there are interview pieces where Gary Moore is talking about Randy Rhodes and how great Randy Rhodes was and that sort of thing. But Gary Moore was part of. Ozzy's early history in, in putting together uh, his band. And of course, the rest is history. So uh, about 82, he goes back to London. And now he's signed with Virgin and he released his second solo album, actually his third that he recorded, actually his fourth, if you count the one way back in 73. But but second after G-Force, he recorded Dirty Fingers, which hadn't been released yet. The next one he recorded is Corridors of Power in 1982. Now, what's unique about this, this is the first Gary Moore album where Gary is the lead singer. So on G-Force and, so, and, and Dirty Fingers even, he sings on some of the stuff, but it's mostly guest singers that he brings in. Okay, but on Corridors of Power, Gary is now singing and his band at the time is Ian Pace on drums, Neil Murray of Whitesnake. Uh, Pace also was from Whitesnake at that point. Uh, so he's got Ian Pace, Neil Murray. I believe Don Airy is playing keyboards. Don Airy was also with him in Coliseum too in the mid seventies. Don Airy is, is one of these, we talk about the rock and roll family tree. Don Airy's all over that thing because he's played for everyone too, but Don Airy's involved and they uh, record this album corridors of power. Now just a little personal backstory. 
way back in, this is late 1982. So this is after Randy Rhodes. Randy Rhodes had died in March of 1982. And in that fall, I remember a guitar player magazine, which was a, a Randy Rhodes special edition. And it was just interviews with Randy, interviews with people all that played with Randy. And I can remember way back then, Randy Rhodes citing Gary Moore as an influence, one of the guitar players he really liked. And it was that interview that made me say, well, I, I got to go check out this Gary Moore guy. And so I, I bought the Corridors of Power on cassette and throughout 82, 83. So, so Gary Moore was very formative for me in my high school years. I listened to Gary Moore and none of my friends even knew who Gary Moore was. And one of the interesting things about Gary Moore, and this is kind of back to that point about how some people saw it as no musical direction. But one of the things I thought was really cool was you'd put in Corridors of Power and you'd hear the opening track. It's called Don't Take Me for a Loser, which is just a great rocking track, right? Great rocking song. And then you go right into a, a, a really mid, almost a ballad called I'm Always Gonna Love You, which is very mellow. Um, and then later, like on uh, his later albums, Victims of the Future from 83, Empty Rooms, which was actually a hit in the UK, not really a hit here. I mean, it's as ballady as you're going to get. It sounds like a, a top 40 ballad love song, right? But what I loved about Gary Moore, whether it was a, a just a, a pop song or a full-on ballad, is he always squeezed these ripping guitar solos in. Just phenomenal. And I can remember the first time I heard a track on Corridors of Power called End of the World, which actually features Jack Bruce, by the way. Jack Bruce, Jack and, and Gary go back and forth singing on this. But this intro, is it's kind of Gary's take on eruption. I don't, I shouldn't say that. I only say that. It's not that it sounds like eruption. I only say it because it's in the, in the vein of an eruption and that it's just, a, just a guitar instrumental, right? And he just does these crazy pull-offs super fast. I can remember hearing that at the time thinking, I can't believe how fast this guy is. Incredibly fast. Very fast. Very shreddy. This is, guys, this is 82. Okay. This is before. In my mind, it's really the mid and late 80s where you see the major shredders. Ingve comes along in 83 or 84 with Alcatraz, and then you get the whole shred thing. But Gary Moore was shred before shred was a thing, right? And, and the beginning of End of the World is a perfect example of that. So let's kind of talk about the songs on this album. And by the way, it's on Spotify. You can stream it if you want to listen to it. Uh, it's just a really good album. Starts out with Don't Take Me for a Loser. Just a great rock track. Awesome guitar. Every song on here has awesome guitar solos. I mean, what can I say? They're just very, very good. He's he's one of these players I, I call muscular. His style is just very aggressive, very powerful, super strong vibrato. Uh, you can tell he's just digging in. Plays very fast when he needs to, but also very, very bluesy. And he can he can play really slow and just beautiful, beautiful soloing. Uh, 
the second track is called Always Gonna Love You. Again, that's the one I mentioned. That's it's pretty slow. I don't know if I'd call it a ballad. It's it's a, definitely a mid to slow tempo, but it's got some dirt. And the guitar solo comes in, and it's smoking right. Really good guitar solo. The third track on side one is a cover of a free song called "Wishing Well." Again, great riffs, great soloing. Uh, we go into another kind of slow song. Again, this is, this is Gary Moore, right? He, he's not afraid to play slow, sappy songs. There's another one called You're Gonna Break My Heart Again, which actually, that's misleading. That's not a slow song. Uh, it starts out slow, but it becomes a rocker. Gonna Break My Heart Again. Just a great rhythm figure under the verse. One of the songs I tried to learn as a fledgling guitar player was going to break my heart again, uh, with terrible success, by the way. What I was thinking is the next song, which is Falling in Love with You, very beautiful ballad. And here's the thing about Gary Moore. Obviously, we, we see him as a guitar player. I kind of think of it the, the way I think of Stevie Ray Vaughan, right? We, we, because they're guitar players, we just look at their guitar playing. Gary Moore doesn't have a great voice. He's got an earnest voice and, and I like his voice. His voice is very genuine. And that's one of the things I like about it is you don't hear his voice and go, what a beautiful voice. He doesn't have a beautiful voice, but it's very emotional, very earnest. I, I like the way his voice sounds just like Stevie Ray Vaughan. I, I couldn't imagine a Stevie Ray Vaughan song without Stevie Ray Vaughan singing it. Same thing with Gary Moore. Right. So he's not got the kind of voice you go, oh, what a great singer. No, but it works for for the songs that he plays. And I can't imagine anyone else singing these. Side two, I already mentioned the song End of the World. Jack Bruce uh, sings on it. Again, got this extended guitar solo at the beginning, which is awesome. There's a clip of George Lynch that I've seen on YouTube where he's showing one of the things that really uh, inspired him was this part from into the world. It's just, it's just a cool, several cool licks and cool sounds going on. And I can remember as a teenager, what was I 14, 15 years old? I couldn't tell what he was doing. It would just sounded way over my head, way out of my league. Uh, but it was really cool. So you definitely want to check out the tune Into the World by Gary Moore. After that, and this is probably my least favorite song on the album. It's called Rockin' Every Night. And it's just kind of a, a up-tempo, you know, rockin' boogie song. It's not a bad song, but of all the songs on the album, this is probably my least favorite. It's just kind of a boogie-woogie cliche song. Now, the next song, Cold Hearted, is another just a great riff. Great soloing, a, a powerful song, great one. And and this is a this is a mid tempo, you know, kind of a plodding bass line. Just a really good song. And then the last song on the side two is another slow one. Uh, I can't wait until tomorrow. So so we've got three three ballads really on this album, uh, and that's kind of the the ride you take with the Gary Moore album. You know, they're kind of up and down, which I kind of admire that. I kind of like that change in dynamics and change in tempo. But even on the slow songs, man, there are some tasty 
guitar tracks. And you, you definitely want to check them out. Now, one thing I wanted to mention about Gary is in the mid-70s, he got in a bar fight. Uh, he was in a bar and some guys made com- were making comments to his girlfriend at the time. And Gary Moore, you know, basically said, hey, knock it off. A guy broke a bottle on the edge of the table and cut Gary's face. And so from the middle of the 70s on for the rest of his life, Gary has pretty major scars on his face. And he would, you know, in video shoots, he would he would look down or, or he just tried to to I don't want to say he was trying to hide it, but he didn't want to emphasize the fact that his his face was pretty scarred up. Supposedly, this event had a major impact on him. Some folks around him said, you know, it, he was angry about it and it, and it kind of changed the way Gary was. And I thought that was interesting, kind of sad, but kind of an interesting insight into Gary Moore. And I mentioned earlier that he was a perfectionist and he was, and he would even admit that he would say, you know, I would, I demanded a lot out of myself and, and people would even say, Bob Daisley talks about this, you know. He'd go in. Bob Daisley toured with uh, Gary Moore, played on other albums with Gary Moore. Bob Daisley, like Don Airy, again, <laughs> very prominent in that classic rock family tree, right? Bob Daisley talks about going into a dressing room after a show and saying, man, that was a great show. And Gary would be like, oh, I played terrible. It was terrible. You know, he's very hard on himself and subsequently sometimes hard on people around him because he was he was a perfectionist. By the way... Uh, the story goes that Bob Daisley is the one that kind of spurred him to do a blues album. Again, they were on tour and they had been playing with some blues stuff. And Bob said, you know, Gary, you should do a whole album of blues tunes. And sure enough, he did in 19, 1990, still got the blues came out and it was his biggest album. That was his most commercially successful album. And that really broke him in the U.S. And what has happened since Still Got the Blues is many folks have been going backwards, as is normal, to check out his earlier stuff. And you see that, wow, this guy was a rocker. He hasn't always been this blues guy. And my entree into Gary Moore was the rock stuff. So when the blues stuff came out, I don't want to say I was disappointed, but I kind of missed the rock stuff. So again, like I said earlier, when I want to listen to Gary Moore, I grab the rock stuff. Now, sadly, Gary Moore died of a heart attack in his sleep at the age of 58. Uh, He was on holiday with his girlfriend. Uh, This happened in February of 2011. And apparently, Gary had started drinking quite a bit towards the end there, which is, which is sad. Uh, he did have a high level of alcohol in his body. So, uh, unfortunately, you know, the, the cause of death is listed as a heart attack, but he did have a, a lot of alcohol in his body. So that might've been a contributing factor. And, and according to many, he had kind of developed a serious drinking problem the last years of his life. Guys, he was only 58. Okay. 58 is young. I just turned 54. And so when I see someone passing at that young age, I mean, he could he could definitely still be playing now and we could all be enjoying new music from him. So that makes me sad. 
that he passed away at such a young age. The last thing I want to say and recommend that you check out is way back in 1994, there's a project. They only did one album. Uh, it was three people that were difficult to work with <laughs> working together. This is the Bruce Baker Moore project. It's basically cream with Gary Moore instead of Eric Clapton, right? It was Jack Bruce, Ginger Baker, and Gary Moore. Now, what had happened is Gary had played with Jack. Well, Jack played on Corridors of Power, so they knew each other. But at a, like, I think a 50th birthday party for uh, Jack Bruce around 1990 or something like that, Gary sat in with him and Ginger Baker. And they played a bunch of cream stuff. And they all really had fun. And they sounded really good. And so on paper, it seemed like a great idea for them to get together and make an album. And they did. Bruce Baker Moore Project. Only one album from 1994. It is an awesome album. Awesome album. Now, sadly, <laughs> these are three people that are uh, notorious for not being super easy to work with. And as you can imagine, they did a few tour dates together. Uh, and some of those are recorded and it sounds really good. So if you're a fan of what I like about it is it'll give you your Gary Moore blues fix and your Gary Moore rock fix, right? It's just, it's just really good stuff. They wrote an album of new material. So they, so they do the BBM material, but then they also do some cream stuff on the live recordings that I've heard. Definitely worth checking out. That's the, Bruce Baker Moore uh, project. BBM is what they call it. Came out in 1994. Check out that album. And I think you'll like that. Okay. Now I mentioned that I've got those dick pick starter packs that I want to give out. And I'm even going to give you the answer uh, that will allow you to get <laughs> a set of these, these picks. What you need to do is email classicguitarrock at mail.com and you need to tell me the famous guitarist who now owns the Peter Green Les Paul that Gary Moore owned and used for years and years and years. If you can answer that question, uh, the first five folks that can answer that question, I'm going to be sending a dick pic starter pack. So let me give you the answer to that. Way back in the early 70s, Peter Green gave Gary Moore his famous Les Paul. You know, the one that Peter Green played for all of those years. He gave it to Gary Moore. Or I, I think what happened is Gary Moore had a guitar. They traded for a bit. And Gary's was not near as good as Peter's was. Right. But Peter ultimately said, hey, you just keep that guitar. And so Gary Moore had had this guitar for years and years and years, and he finally sold it around 2000 or sometime, sold it for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then after Gary passed away, Kirk Hammett of Metallica bought the famous Peter Green Les Paul. We don't know the exact amount he paid for it. We know it was under $2 million, but I think it was very close to $2 million for the Peter Green Les Paul, and Kirk Hammett still owns it. So that's the answer to that question. First five folks who can email me with that answer, 
I'll be sending you a starter pack from Dick Picks. You can check out Dick Picks at their website, dickpicks.com.au. They are phenomenal guitar picks. And I want to thank them for helping us out and sending us some starter packs to send to you all. I want to thank you for joining us. And if you haven't followed the podcast yet, please do so. If you like it, share it with your friends. Check us out on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter. And we will see you next time on the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Oh, sweetie! Please like, subscribe, and share. You can email us at classicguitarrock at mail.com. We're not ordinary people. We're morons. We'll see you for the next episode of the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast.